0: I'm not pulling out the driveway. We all know what that means. It's time for the Drive to Work at Home Edition. So today, I have Yanni Skolnick to talk about The Brothers' War. Hey, Yanni. Hi, Mark. Okay, so yeah. you you led the set design of the set. Um, So I talked to Ari on a previous podcast, and we talked all about the vision design. So we're going to pick up the story, you get handed the set, um, and let's talk about where it went from set design. So um, why don't we start with, um, prototype, because that, that was hand, that was in fact handed off from from vision design. So let's talk about what what was prototype like, and what did you have to do to it? How how did you make prototype a viable thing? Yeah, um, so prototype stayed
1: in the big picture how it was handed off, but a lot of the details changed with the rules implementation of when you cast it. You know uh, what whatever characteristics of a card. There were a lot of concerns of, like, if we're casting um, a 7-mana permanent for only 3-mana, are you getting too much power out of having that higher mana value? So, for example, one change we made is we made sure that the um, alternate version you cast had the lower mana value and the color of what you actually paid for it um, to better
0: represent, here's what you're actually putting into the card um,
1: instead of getting out
0: of it. So it's it's more like a split card than a kicker, for example.
1: Right, when I described how I wanted it to work, I basically said, it's like an MDFC, in that it's two separate cards, they just happen to have the same name and rule stacks. <laughs> <laughs> but the casting cost and power and toughness are different, and all the rules that go along with those things.
0: Right, and that's that wasn't, when we handed off, it was more kicker, more. I mean, like reverse kicker, but more kicker-like. Yeah, I think it just set the power and toughness to be different. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Um, and I think it, they remained colorless. Um, which was very relevant because for some time power stones were tapping for mana specifically for colorless cards
0: instead of any artifact card. Okay, so other than making them have two different functions mm-hmm. when you cast them any what else had you did you have to do to to make that work? Um, yeah, getting that figured out
1: was the bit the biggest part of it. We also had to be careful with a lot of, um, potential combo stuff you can do with them, for example, blinking them, you would still get the bigger side when it came back or reanimation effects where it's easy to trade off the prototype version and then reanimate the big side. So, um, later in set design and working with play design, we had to be very careful that we understood those interactions and, um, we're happy with the power level of how they played out. We also ended up using, um, some of the enters the battlefield effects only apply if you cast it from your hand in order to uh, rein in that potential of blinking and reanimation.
0: So when you, just curious, when that comes up, when you like, here's Mm -hmm. a a normal part of the game, Magic does this, oh, but there's a weird interaction, how do you handle that? Yeah,
1: that's a great question. Um, For the most part, it's on a case-by-case basis. You know, we have a lot of heuristics of, generally, we try to make the strong thing to do of the card, A, the obvious thing to do, so we don't want too much power to be in these strange rules interactions that aren't immediately clear to people always, and B, also to be the fun thing to do with the card. Um, so that's a bit of why it gets to be down to a case-by-case uh, issue of some cards, the, the way the power level played out and the effects of a card made it pretty fun if you're bringing it back or using some kind of effect to cheat into play of the big side. Whereas for other cards, it felt clearly this is inappropriate. And if we're costing the card, um, to be fair when you're playing with it, straightforward and fairly, then uh, it's too powerful when you're abusing it. And for that, we had to find tools like the if you cast it from your hand uh, to rein that in.
0: Okay. So let's jump to the other mechanic. Uh, mm-hmm. m- big mechanic. I, um, so when we handed the set over, I believe we handed over a mechanic called Scrap. Um yep. And so Scrap, it's kind of Mutate-ish. It -hmm. went on Artifacts, and then you could XL them from your graveyard to sort of tech splice their ability onto an Artifact on the battlefield. So what what happened to Scrap?
1: (laughs) Uh, Yeah, uh, one of our early playtests, where we had a lot of the higher-ups at Wizards uh, come and try out the set, we got feedback that it was too complicated and there was too much going on. So we both wanted to lower the overall number of mechanics and also remove the most complex one, which was Scrap. Scrap was kind of complexity within complexity, because having a graveyard mechanic like that, where you can, um, where it's in your graveyard, it's face up, both players know it's there and you constantly need to know it may have an effect. Uh, that's already a big complexity cost, but in addition to that, all the cards themselves needed to be complex because they needed to have abilities that mattered on the battlefield. For example, if they're affecting combat, then it wants to be like fire breathing, um, or keyword effects that change what your attacker is going to be. Keyword abilities like flying that's going to change what your attacker is. Um, in addition to that, there were either, so either they wanted to be those combat bonuses that affect on the board or they wanted to be um, more combo-type interactions. For example, a card that says, untap myself. Well, that you want to um, combine with an artifact that taps itself, and now you're getting into this combo territory where it's really not that obvious what to do with the cards at first, and you need to look very hard to find the interactions that work with them. Um, so the fact that just there, there weren't really any simple scrap cards, they were all complex and Needed to have their own, you know, baggage, and here's here's how you use them in certain situations. Um, meant it was just a little bit too much, and then on top of that, there was also a bit of a push to focus more on big robots as kind of the key marketing image of the set. And scrap did not particularly work well on those since the size was not at all relevant to the ability, and the fact that and most of the power wanted to be in the abilities. Um, so it wasn't really playing well with the big robot
0: theme. Okay, so uh, it got replaced uh, interestingly with Unearth, which was yep. a mechanic. Uh, when I know when Ari and I made the like very early like uh, we we made decks as a sort of uh, proof of concept before, mm-hmm. even before it got put into a, becoming a pioneer, uh, becoming a premier set. Um, mm-hmm. So t- talk about w- how Unearth came back.
1: Unearth came back, as it does. Yes. Um, Yeah, basically throughout Vision, we always knew that Unearth was on the table. um, And it was such a strong contender in my mind. I think my opinion on the Vision team was we don't even need to playtest it in Vision. We just know it's something that'll work for the set. It fits the archaeological theme. It goes on big robots. um, It's aggressive and fits the war theme. It just kind of all around works. So us using scrap was us being experimental and trying to find new space. But when that proved unwieldy and we were already uh, a couple months into set design, going back to Unearth was just a clear, uh, strong move that um, would help give everyone confidence in the set that they understood what's going on. And we knew for sure it could be something we would develop. We could develop pretty
0: easily. Yeah, something real quickly You, you I want to say to the audience is one of the things that Vision tries to do is it's Vision's job to push a little bit. And that we want to have backups, right? We want to make sure that there's always something. Um, But Vision does try to be a little more aggressive in that, Mm -hmm. hey, if anyone's supposed to try things, we're supposed to try things. And then, right, set design can figure out whether something works or doesn't. And this is a really good example where, hey, we tried Scrap, but we had Unearthed as a backup. So, you know, we Mm -hmm. gave you the set design lead, the tools to do what you needed to do. And in this case, the more adventurous thing didn't work out, but the backup was good. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I I enjoy playing with Scrap. There's a lot of potential options there. It just was um, a bit too loud of a mechanic for what the role it needed to play in the set. So I I do hope one day we get to return to some kind of graveyard mutate like that.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, the the thing for the audience is the... Like, magic is littered with things we tried and then didn't use, and then years later, oh, look, you know, energy is sort of the classic example where energy was originally an original mirrored in, and there's... There was too much there, so we had to take it out. But years later, we're like, oh, here's a good spot for it, you know. I think it was, like, ten-plus years later. So, like, anything we try will be, you know, I'll, I'll keep it in mind. So some, sometime later, we'll find it. Okay, the next mechanic to talk about, you mentioned it very briefly, but let's talk about Power Stones. So, yeah, um, Power Stones went through a bunch of changes. I, I'm trying to remember what we handed off. I think... The- yeah, I know at one point we tried with them only working with abilities
1: and not being able to cast any kind of spell. Right. Um, and only worked I on. The... Oh, go ahead. Or, oh, yeah, uh, only worked on abilities and not being for spells. And I think still in Vision, we changed them to being able to cast colorless spells to work with the casting big artifacts theme and um, be more of a ramp mechanic than just using it for mana sinks. Um, but then at some point during set design, we. I had had this concern of what if they're too strong with the ar- other artifacts in standard and um having it focus on colorless cards meant that it would especially work well uh insularly with the brother's war cards since all of our cards were colorless um but once we got closer to playtesting standard and seeing what else was in standard we realized no it'll actually be cool if these power stones tap to cast all the other artifacts um and so we made that change and it also happened alongside us changing the prototype cards to um have their lower mana value reflected when you cast them for the lower cost, which uh, to me it made, was a bit more clean to then have them be colored when you cast them that way. Um, so that change with power stones also helped us enable uh, to enable us to evolve prototype. So which came first? Which which one led the which was led the other? Um, they were kind of both ideas in the ether that we were considering, and when when it all came together. We kind of made most changes at once.
0: Okay, so the next thing I'm, I'm curious to talk about is um this set very much was influenced by by antiquities, right? Antiquities mm-hmm. was the original set that you know I- introduced the Brothers War. Um, it yes. was Magic's second ever set, and before that, Magic didn't really have a story per se. It was the first set to even hint at a story, um, but. The way Antiquities did it was you were digging up, like, you know, Antiquities from the past. And it, it kind of hinted at a story, but it didn't really tell the story. It just made sort of vague allusions that there was some conflict. And it mentioned Urza and Mishra and stuff. Um, mm-hmm. So you had to sort of tell the story. I mean there was a book, I guess, that told the story. And you we wanted to reference Antiquities. So I want to sort of talk about how did you... What did you need to do to capture the story of the Brothers War, and how did you capture the feeling of antiquities? I guess two questions I yeah. put into one. <laughs> yeah, uh, I,
1: I like to say it's a magic set based on a book, based on a magic set. Since the book was based on antiquities, but we're yeah. <laughs> mostly based on the book. Um, but I did always have you know a search up for all the cards and antiquities, just that I would look over once a week, and I would make sure everyone in my team also looked at a search of all those cards to serve as inspiration. Um, for a while we had some reprints from there, but then we decided to do the artifact retro sheet, which meant we didn't want to have any reprint artifacts since all those were going onto the sheet, and that sheet did end up with some of them, um, like Ornithopter. Um, but yeah, in the end, there just, there weren't many cards from antiquities that had, you know, exactly the right power level for our modern magic. Um, so we ended up looking there a lot more for inspiration than for actual cards. Um, I'll also note Urza Saga, the green cards, something not everyone's aware about Urza's Saga, is that every different color in Urza Saga is telling its own story in its own time and location. So in Urza Saga, the green cards are from Argoth at the end of the Brethren's War. Um, so we also looked there for inspiration, as well as to some of the black cards, because those feature Old Phyrexia, which the Brethren's War briefly touches upon.
0: So, do you have a favorite of a like a card inspired by antiquities? <laughs> um, I love the Onulet Evolution. So, to talk uh, here, um, mm-hmm. let me uh, see what uh, there's the Tachasia's Onulet. So, just, yeah. that's what I mentioned the the card in the set. So, cost five. It says when Takesha's Onulet leaves the battlefield, you gain two life, unearth three, and a white. Uh, mm-hmm. And Unearth is return three and white. Return this card from your graveyard to the battlefield. It gains haste, exile at the beginning of the next end step, or if it would leave the battlefield. Unearth on only as a sorcery. So real quickly, before you explain this card, I want to explain the background of Anulet, because mm-hmm. there's, a, there's a very funny story about <laughs> Anulet. So I'll, let me tell that story, and then you'll explain yep. how you made the case of So w- uh, the team that made the original Antiquities, uh, we, uh, we call it the East Coast Playtufters, Jim Jimlin, Dave Petty, Chris Page, and I believe Joel Mick also worked on Antiquities. Um, he was with the group that made um, Mirage, but he he worked with them on this one set. Anyway, they m- made a card that was kind of a creature that acted a lot like the card Solnet. Uh, and so they made an, they called it Onulets because it was an anagram of Soulnet. and that's where the name came from. But when they got the art back, there was only one of them. So they had to change the name to Onulets, so it didn't even have the anagram anymore. Um, but that's where it came from. It was supposed to be an anagram because back in the day we did lots and lots of anagrams and stuff. Yep. And so if you played early magic
1: or chandelier, like I did, then you might be familiar with the Onulet, and it was just kind of a, you know, cute, goofy card with this very odd art, um, that stuck around in a lot of people's minds. So I was very happy to just be able to get any reference into it at all. Um, now I'm remembering there's another card, uh, the Cave Guardian
0: Suchi, which is an evolution of the card Suchi from Antiquities. Yeah, as the, remember, let, me, let me read this real quick. Suchi, yeah. Cave Guard, 8 mana, Artifact Creature Construct, 8-8, eight, eight. Vigilance, Ward 4. When Suchi, ca- Cave Guard dies, add 8 colorless mana. Until end of turn, you don't lose this mana as steps and phases end.
1: Right. So the original Suchi was just a 4 mana, 4-4, four, four, that when it died, it gave you 4 colorless mana. And at the time, there was mana burn, so that was effectively a downside. Um, so we wanted to show some evolution of this. And, you know, we got to thinking, okay, maybe it's a 5-mana five 5-5 five five that dies into 5-mana. And I remember being proud of myself, very proud of myself for saying, oh, or what if it's double Su-Chi and it's an 8-8 eight <laughs> eight that gives 8-mana?
0: Um, so that's probably actually my favorite Antiquities reference. That's funny. The, the other thing is, I, I believe that Su and Chi are both four in other languages, Oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's, that's where the name... A lot of antiquities names, uh, early magic naming, the designers used to do the naming, like, the, this before mm-hmm. there was, like, sort of a uh, creative team. And so a lot of early magic has a lot of in-jokes. That's the way the naming used to work. Yep. Okay, so uh, now let's talk a little bit about the making of a story. So one of the things I've mentioned is that in some ways we joked that this was kind of like a universes Beyond set in the sense that... Mm-hmm. The story was the story. It was locked. It was, it was what it was. Normally, when we make a magic set, we, you know if things don't work out, we can change the story to make it work. We can change the environment to make it work. But you were trying to tell something that was pretty much a locked story. So, talk about the challenges of doing that.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, for the most part,
0: it was a lot more opportunity
1: than challenge. Um, we came in being like, the story is what the set is about. This is the big thing. Um, so we got to start by including all these characters and story moments. We had, you know, lists of all the important characters and all the important story moments and all the important emotional beats. We wanted to go along with those story moments and, um, everyone who was, you know, who was leading the set in any capacity, the art lead and the, and the writing lead and Ari, the vision lead, myself, were all very intimately familiar with the story. Um, so in my mind, it went very smoothly to incorporate all the tiny details and, um, yeah,
0: get them in there. Well, I mean, I, I think the positive thing about having a known story is you have, you have all these references to use. I mm-hmm. think the challenge is it it doesn't necessarily neatly fit. Like, magic needs certain things. And uh, let's talk about green, for example. Mm-hmm. Like, most of the story has no green in it. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Uh yeah, but I think you know, what.
1: there I guess most of those challenges were at the Vision level and mm. Vision solved them all. So you know, Green has Argoth from the third act of the story, um, which serves a lot. We also decided the Falaji, uh, Mishra's um faction could have some green cards, and Green also fits very well in mechanically with all the ramp and power stone themes. Um So at the end of the day, or, you know, at the start of the day in vision, we kind of solved, here's a whole bunch of green concepts so that by the time it was set design, it was really just executing on those.
0: Um, and it went pretty smoothly. Is there anything that you wanted to capture that you weren't able to capture? Or do you think you did pretty much everything you needed to capture, you captured? Pretty much everything we needed to capture.
1: Yeah. Um, like, you know, we went in from the start very prepared with all these lists, um, there were a couple last minute things that only got in flavor text. Mm-hmm. For example, uh, there's a character who's kind of a comic relief character called Rusko, who is, Urza works for him briefly before he becomes prince. Um, and he's kind of a silly character, so we didn't want to give him a card, but at the end we were able to put him in flavor text on one of the retro artifacts. Mm-hmm. And so I found that very charming. Also, one of the last changes I made to the set was to ask for um, Tanos' nickname from Ashnod, which is Duck. Ashnod calls Thanos Duck mm. to get into a piece of flavor text. And uh, with that crowning jewel, I got in
0: everything I wanted. <laughs> yeah, the other thing is um, there's a few cards, not a lot, but there's like, uh, we had to make up a few characters, right? There are at least one character I know that didn't exist that we made. I mean, mm-hmm. we made it fit in the story and everything, but like the, 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 the character doesn't appear in the novel.
1: Yeah. Um, I believe there's two characters uh, like those that were essentially handed off to me by, or I think it was really just one character
0: um, that was whole cloth created just for the story. Um, and that's it's what it's the white, what is her name? Uh, sorry. Uh, Mural the- Shield of Argive, right? Yeah, Miro was actually started just as a,
1: we want a legendary soldier commander. And I said, hey, here's this super minor character that we could name it after, but nobody remembers. Um, Lieutenant Sharaman, I think. Mm-hmm. But after I handed it off, um, uh, Miguel said, oh, actually, I want this new character. So that wasn't any work for us. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other character was from the commander decks um, and just wanted to be one of the point of view characters, uh, Fareed. Mm-hmm. Um, and other than that it was basically all just all the legends are things that directly appeared in the book and was us kind of designing top down towards
0: yeah one of the things that uh, I know players were very excited there's a there are a bunch of characters that forever players have been asking forever you know mm-hmm. um, people had wanted a Gix character people had wanted yep. a, an Ashnod card <laughs> um, so it was a lot of fun I know to to make some of those yeah I remember towards the end of a set um,
1: after we announced A Brever's War I saw a thread on Reddit of like what, what car what characters do you want from the story and I looked through it and was very glad to see if you're all represented, <laughs> with the exception of many characters people asked for if it weren't actually in the preference <laughs> story and people just
0: didn't know if it they were from later in Magic's history. Um so the one other interesting thing, uh the way the story works is there's a framing device to the story, which is to fi- modern day you know, to ferry from modern day needs to go back to learn about um the Silex, and and so how did you how did you capture that part of the story? Because I know we really wanted to show the Brothers War as the Brothers War, but we needed to sort of tie it in. How did you fit that in? Yeah, so
1: we have the two planeswalkers, Teferi and Sahili. and other than them, I think there's four cards that tell the present-day story, and it was kind of just always planned that this would be a very small piece of a set, and so for creative lead, Miguel handed me just a small handful of story moments, um which is, you know, Teferi gets his soul taken out by Kaya, sent backward in time. Sahili makes the object that goes backward in time. And Teferi gets his, you know, gets lost, gets desynchronized, I think is what the card ended up being called. Mm-hmm. Um, and
0: so, with that being a pretty small thing in the set, it was very easy to incorporate. Yeah, the touch I liked is um, so, one of the things that we had done, uh, w- once again, way back in the the, the decks from the very beginning, uh, mm-hmm. Was this idea that the artifacts were all going to be colorless because we were yep. trying to be reflective of sort of antiquities? Um, and, and the co- cards had color in them. Their activations and unearthing and prototyping, whatever. Um, but there's only one colored artifact in the whole set, and that's because it's the time machine from the present. Yep. Uh, in the present, we have colored artifacts, so that was okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I like that touch. Yep. Yeah,
1: I think of all of all the challenges that Vision handed off to us, that was probably the bigger one. And, you know, I knew it would be a challenge and it's what we signed up for and I'm pretty happy with how it turned out. Um, yeah, but having, uh, you know, we just generally balance magic cards around being of colors. So having all these generic cards, um, posed some challenges. And so we kind of got to thread the line with prototype and an earth, both being mechanics that let us put colored mana costs on them, but we still had to be very thoughtful with how we, um, with how he costed those cards, given that they also had a colorless mode. Mm-hmm. And, um, I'm quite happy with how that turned out in, in limited, there are a decent number of unearthed cards where you usually want to have the color available, but you can also play it a little bit off color if you have access to something that gives you mana of any color, um, or an evolving wilds that lets you, you know, go get your one mountain to play your scrap work mutt. Um, and then with prototype cards, in they they let you be... They're just always big robots on the colorless side. So if you're a slow control deck and you open this bomb, you can splash it off-color or unsealed. If you just
0: want more high drops, you'll always have access to a ton of them in your pool. Yeah, it's a neat thing when you're balancing. Sometimes cards have multiple functions. And the question mm-hmm. is, might some players use some function, but not all functions? And that's always neat to do. Yeah. Um, and I you know, particularly enjoy thinking about that for limited,
1: like when it was always clear to me from the start that we should have slightly less color fixing than most sets because the colorless aspect makes it easier to splash. So if we want it to be as multicolored as the average set, then we need to have slightly less mana fixing. And it was <laughs> very satisfying for me to see previews, people talking about them and be like, oh, I guess you, you can't really splash in this set. There isn't quite enough mana fixing but people were ignoring the fact that colorless cards make it easier to splash, as well as the fact that there's a lot of color fixing on the retro artifact sheet. Mm -hmm. So it was fun to see people have that reaction and then a week later realize, oh no, actually splashing is a big part of the set and totally something you can do.
0: Okay, well, you mentioned the retro sheet. Let's talk a little bit about making of the retro sheet. Um, Yeah. What what were the challenges? Uh, I mean, So internally in in uh, in, R&D, we refer to that as a bonus sheet. Um, I think Time Spiral had the the very first one, and we we've used the bonus sheets from time to time. What's the challenges of making this bonus sheet?
1: Yeah, so first off, uh, I also led Strixhaven and was kind of the engineer architect for the structure of the of the bonus sheet on that set, the Mystical Archive. So I was able to directly steal copy my homework from that set and just have the exact same structure here. Um, all colorless cards on the bonus sheet was also a challenge. The set being a little too bomb heavy because of all of these additional colorless rares was a big concern. And so with rares and mythics, we put in a lot of thought to make sure that we're picking cards that for the most part aren't too obnoxious and limited. We let a couple of crazy cards through, Worm Coil being the big example, the big groan, groaner of the format. Um, but... Yeah, so for Rares and Mythics, we wanted to have, you know, a lot of iconic cards, a lot of cards that let you do interesting sideways stuff and limit the number of very powerful Limited Bombs. Um, I really enjoyed the Uncommons we got to use because the Uncommons show up at the same rate as any other Uncommon, and they got to be a very uh, meaningful part of the Limited environment and have a lot of cute combos there. For example, Self-Assembler helps you bring together the three Tron creatures, Um, there's a bunch of sacrifice effects like Chromatic Star and Elsewhere Flask that enable your sacrifice archetype. Elsewhere Flask works with the monocolor cards like Corrupt and Flow of Knowledge. Um, so, yeah, I absolutely love these bonus sheets and what they add to Limited. And it, you know, had a lot of stuff that we had to tweak and get right, but I think it was totally worth it.
0: Okay, the, the last question for you, since I'm, I'm almost at my desk here. Mm-hmm. Um, there's one last mechanic I actually didn't talk about. So I want to talk about meld. So uh, we, the idea of having uh, the the three rare melded creatures was vi- Vision handed that off. But we also gave you common meld cards. Yep. Uh, so I want to talk a little bit about what happened to the common meld cards and then the challenges of making the rare meld cards.
1: Yep. So the common melt cards, I'm a huge fan of the melt mechanic. Um, I, I actually remember at the time that Eldritch Moon was being made, I was roommates with Ben Hayes, who was on the team for that, who was on the Eldritch Moon, uh, design team. And he came home one day and told me about this melt mechanic that Kent Nagel wanted to add. And I was immediately like, great. It's my favorite mechanic. <laughs> I've never seen a single card with melt and already it's my favorite magic mechanic. Um, so awesome to bring it back here. Common meld, We did some good stuff to make it work, but at the end of the day, it was too complex along with other stuff in the set going on. It also had a lot of similarity to Prototype, where you were taking a small robot and then making it bigger. Um, So it wasn't really adding something unique to the set, and it was a casualty of just wanting to simplify things. Um, Making of the rare ones, what are the challenges of making... Um yeah, the the early part of making them went very smoothly. I think both both Urza and Mishra were something we figured out early in vision design. Hey, we're going to they're gonna meld with this type of card and on the back they're gonna have six abilities and it'll be crazy. And we're gonna do a Titania who melds with a land and she'll be all about lands. Um so the big idea of them was pretty simple to capture. Balancing them uh with play design for standard was a big challenge because you're essentially Balancing three cards as if they're one card and there's so much going on there. Um, but I'm pretty happy with where mm-hmm. they all ended up. I'm also really happy with their potential in Commander, because all of their color combinations of the legendary side of it is very good at searching up the other side. So a lot of people at first thought it'd be disappointing for Commander, that you can't have them as if they're partners, but your white blue Urza is very good at searching out artifacts. Your black red. Mishra's are good at searching out any cards like black does, and especially good if you can put them straight into the graveyard like red can sometimes do with Gamble. And green, of course, is great at searching
0: out lands. Yeah, I think they ended up. um, It's kind of funny. I I did an article where I showed like our first take at Urza, which Mm -hmm. was. I mean, a lot changed, but the, the basic concept of the first Urza was not really far away from where Urza ended up uh, thematically. I mean, you guys made mm-hmm. infinite small changes and small, you know, but Yep. So I was. And I remember that.
1: you coming up with the Mishra, um, which was which was great. I remember us trying to come up with what the backside of Mishra did after it melted, and you were just like, "Yeah, all these." These cards, they're not that exciting. And we're like, okay, well, what's your idea, Mark? And then you're like, it has six abilities, just like Urza. And we're like, great. <laughs> you do have a good idea, Mark. Well done.
0: <laughs> uh, there's something fun about one choose three, four choose two. Yeah. Okay, How about six choose three? So. <laughs> yep. Well, that's harder to cycle. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, we are well, uh, almost out of time here. Any final thoughts on the making of the Brothers War? Any final thoughts? Uh,
1: uh, no, I think I covered everything I wanted to discuss. It it was a great pleasure. Um, it's a story that I've been... was very uh, passionate about. I read the story when I was a kid and I played Magic with my older brother, so it was a huge honor to get to work on the set.
0: Well, you know, I think you did an amazing job, Yanni. I, I really... The set came out wonderful. I've been hearing nothing but just raves from the Limited to all the individual cars and constructed, so good job, Yanni. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> okay, so... Uh, It's everybody else, Uh, I'm at my desk, so we all know what that means. Uh, Instead of talking magic, it's time for me to be making magic. So I want to thank Yanni for being with us. Yeah, thanks for having me. And I'll see all of you guys next time. Bye-bye.